Fire Marrow Ministries, time in God's Word today. Let's join Pastor David Smith. Most of you have uh, most likely never heard the name Amnon Weinstein. Uh, he's a luthier. That's a violin maker and repairman. He's a world-renowned in restoring and fixing violins and certainly making them. And he is the son of Jewish parents that fled the Holocaust. And uh, over the years, he has painstakingly restored violins from the orchestra that played on demand by their Nazi captors in the Auschwitz death camp. A meager attempt to cover the atrocities that went on there, but nonetheless, uh, it was a horrible, horrible place. But in the heart of that Nazi death camp was an orchestra, and the violins sang for the amusement of their captors. And many of the owners of those violins perished. They they died in their uh, in that death camp. And as he has restored each one of those, he's named them, the violins, after the captors. You can go there uh, online and look up the Violins of Hope, and there's the Fievel violin. And then there's this one uh, that uh, is still in disrepair. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. The first one he encountered was in terrible condition. And he accepted it into his shop to be restored and uh, he couldn't do it. He just he said, I could not bring myself to restore that violin. Because when he opened up the soundboard and went inside, inside the violin were the ashes of the owner. The Nazis had poured his ashes into the violin and thrown it to the side. Almost like a mocking of him, even though he was such a talented man, whoever that was. Inside the violin were the ashes. And years later, he started to seek the violins out. He had a change of heart. And he restored them. Many of them were in really tragic shape. And they're now amazingly restored. They're beautiful, beautiful violins. And he took what was destroyed and broken and useless and redeemed them to a thing of beauty. Literally, beauty from ashes. It reminds you of Isaiah chapter 61, 1 through 3 that says that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captors and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise. Instead of spirit of despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness. I thought that was ironic given the subject matter. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. The violins of hope are Weinstein's resistance. They're like tombstones, Weinstein says, for the thousands of Jewish instruments and musicians that were destroyed in the war, the owners no longer singing. There was one, though, that he wouldn't touch. It was given to him, donated to him. The man that found it 
his first inclination was to just cast it aside, but he decided to donate it to Violins of Hope. It's called the Hitler Violin. <clears throat> Inscribed inside the violin were written Heil Hitler and a swastika. It was donated to the Violins of Hope, never to be restored. And I was thinking how I wish he would restore it. Not because I'm a Nazi. And not because I'm any kind of a horrendous person like that, but that the music would sing in victory over such a symbol of hatred and evil. Because God can take what is broken and restore it. But Weinstein, the master luthier, the master won't touch it. Aren't you glad that Jesus will redeem any who come to him? You see, the Lord sees in you, even if you don't, a thing of beauty. And perhaps like these old, forgotten, scarred, dusty, cracked violins, even broken by life and choices, you need the Master's touch. Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I want you to consider your life. We've been talking about kingdom growth. And one of the things that is most essential to kingdom growth is your growth. Growing yourself, growing your spirit, nourishing your spirit, and allowing the master to form you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 14, it says this. It's a powerful phrase. For, the, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore, all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Now there's a few places I want to zero in on, and one of them is verse 14 says Christ's love compels us, compels us to desire him, compels us to serve him, compels him, compels us to reach out to others. There are even those who oppose him most viciously that do not know how their spirit longs for the master's touch. There's people in, in our world who viciously oppose the Lord and hate every symbol of the church and hate every symbol of the word of God and oppose it and hold up signs and chant and do all sorts of things against the Word of God. But in their spirit, they long for Jesus. They don't know it. It's like having that one thing that meets the need that you have at that moment. You know, like yesterday, I needed ice cream. I needed it. And I, I was terrified to find out there was no ice cream in our house and so i opened up the freezer and i went digging i was going to have ice cream and you know i found an ice cream bar and that was just what i needed it restored me right then but i want there are there, the lord is something that is exactly what your spirit needs if you find yourself being one of those people who oppose the word of god let me tell you something you can deny it all you want but you cannot silence what your spirit is secretly waiting for. Your spirit right now is waiting for the master's touch to transform you, spiritual transformation. Why is his love so compelling? 
Why is Christ's love so compelling? It comes from the knowledge that Christ died for all, it says. And by accepting Him, we die with Him. Listen, the baptism, we celebrate baptism. We, we get to see that in the water stern. It's so encouraging to hear that. But that's a funeral. Did you ever think about that? That's a funeral. We go to funerals. We had one just a few days, and, and it's a time of mourning and reflection and joy at the same time. It's a mixed feeling because we rejoice that one of our brothers has gone home, but at the same time, we mourn because they're gone. Listen, when you go under the water, when you are passed into that water, it is a symbol of passing from life into death and then resurrection. So it's a funeral and a celebration at the same time. And when that happens, the love of God begins to compel us. To compel means to push us forward, to make us desirous. And we desire to share the message. And here Paul says, listen, we once regarded each other in a worldly, worldly, bleh, can't talk today, worldly way, but we can't any longer because we are a new creation. And people don't understand that becoming a Christian isn't a rite of passage into a club. It's not an initiation. You're being baptized into a family of believers who have gone through the same thing and have passed from life to death to life, and they are a new creation. That means the slate is wiped clean, and then you get to ride on it. Every year when the students come into my classroom, I tell them, I don't care what you've done in the past. You have a clean slate. You're going to choose what you're going to ride on that slate with me. I don't care what the other teachers have said. And I can't tell you how many times the students have done great things for me, and I hear how terrible they are in other classrooms. People need someone to believe in them. And here's the, here's the greatest news that I could possibly give you. Jesus believes in you. You, believe in, you may not believe in Jesus, but he believes in you, and he wants you, and he desires to have you. Not only to have you as a Christian, but if you're a believer, he desires a relationship with you. He desires you to form a relationship and to let it grow and to grow in that new creation. Christ, in his resurrected body, was once flesh and is resurrected in newness. The resurrected body of Christ could not be nailed to the cross any longer. As he bore the cruel nails and his body hung upon that cross, the flesh was suffering because he was fully God and fully man. But when he resurrected from the dead, those wounds were now glorified and he was resurrected in power. And then guess what? He gave that to you. You ever been given the perfect gift? That's the perfect gift. That Christ is the power of a resurrection. And when we were once in the body and once flesh, and we were acting in the flesh, our regard for each other should be spiritual unity, not in worldly chaos, not in gossip, backbiting, slander, simmering anger that leads to hatred. Those things are of the world, in the world. This says, if anyone is in, in Christ, they are a new creation. So what has to happen for something to be recreated? Okay, We have uh, things in museums that they say, okay, this is a recreation of a model that is lost to history. This is a recreation of, you can go to Kentucky and see a recreation of Noah's Ark. 
But what that means is, is what's, what's there now wasn't there before. It was recreated. And so in order for something to be recreated, sometimes it's simply a turn. You're going, to, you're going one way, now you have to turn and walk in the Spirit. Some have to be destroyed to be remade. I hope that you're the kind of person that you can realize you're going down that path the wrong way and you realize and turn and go the right way. You heard the testimony this morning from Derek about his friend who was going this way and by God's power and our hope and prayer, he's going to turn and go the other way. You can do that. You can do a, a, a U-turn. Driving down the highway, you see those little signs that says no U-turn. Those are annoying when you're going the wrong way. I got stuck on the turnpike once. Had, had no money, no pike pass, and I thought, nobody's around. U-turn. I didn't see him. He gave me a break. The Bible tells us that God allows U-turn. God can take your life, whatever direction you're going right now, and if you turn from your present course and start going the way that God has laid out for you, your life will be spiritually transformed. You'll never be the same. If you are lost, if you do not know this Jesus, and here's the, this is the scariest thing that I, I can tell you. You know, people watch horror movies to be scared. I think they're stupid. I can almost predict what was going to happen, so years ago I stopped watching them. I annoyed my friends. I would say, guess what's going to happen now? They just said, shut up. Let me watch the movie. Well, let me tell you something. You have been walking on a path in your life, and it's leading nowhere. And, they, and here's the scary part. There are people that can come to church and look like a church member and act like a church member and put on a mask that looks just like a church member, and they can pray and they can show up every time the doors are open and never accept Jesus as their Savior. They miss God from here to here. And that's scary. It makes you want to reevaluate your life and say, am I really following Jesus Christ? Jesus said, if any man is going to come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. Are you taking up your cross and following Jesus? Or are you occupying a seat in the auditorium? See, that's the thing. When I look at my own life, am I just sitting on the sidelines going, go team, or am I out there getting grass stains on myself? Am I bleeding from the blows? If I'm not being persecuted for my faith, am I failing in what God has set for me? Now, here's the good news. We're here in the United States, and persecution isn't as bad as it is in other places, but it's there. And I guarantee you, if you follow Christ enough, you will be persecuted. But you, if you turn and run, you're a wimp. If, if the, the first sign of resistance and opposition to the Word of God, you turn and run, there's something in your relationship that's malfunctioned and you need to get right with Christ. You go forward with your relationship with Christ. Always forward, always advancing. But in order for something to be recreated, like I said, sometimes it has to be re, uh, destroyed. Look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 18. As you're turning there, think about when people have reconstructed their home or rebuilt a boat or something like that. They had to take things off in order to make it better again. They had to add things or such. Look at Jeremiah chapter 18. It's a famous parable in chapter 18, verse 1. This is the word of, that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. 
Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand. It means it had a defect. There was something wrong with it. It was marred in his hand, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, and he said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does? Declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. And that is a comfort. That tells me that I can have a flaw in me that I can consider and think it's the greatest human flaw and just think it's going to separate me from God and I can't get back. God won't accept me. This Bible tells me right here that He can take your situation, He can destroy it and reform it. And when He's finished, it's a thing of beauty. It's the touch of the Master. And when the Master touches that pot and reforms it and remakes it into what He desires, it is fully efficient and exactly what God intended it to be. And there's much to be understood here. A useless lump of clay stays that way until the master touches it. A, a useless lump of clay will just sit there until the wheel starts turning and the hand starts touching. And as it forms, I've watched him do it. It's fascinating. I could, I could never do it. I, I, I do, watching potters work is fascinating. I see them, they put their hand, they go, whoop, and I'm like, whoa, like a magician's act. And God says, I can do that, but I can do it with humans. He's working with clay, so do I. Amazing. Look at verse 3 and 4. He says, I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. And I don't care where you are in life, saved, sanctified, and redeemed, or lost in the bonds of sin and addiction, God can shape you. God can shape you. There's nothing you can hide from you. I mean, let's be just blunt, honest. You can't hide from God. God sees everything. You know, and I, I, I wonder sometimes as believers, if, if we don't just look at God as, okay, He's there, and I know He's there, but I don't really know if he's there, so I'm just going to try to act as good as I can. That's not how it works. See, God is all-seeing, all-knowing. He is there. And he is a master craftsman. Is it any surprise that Jesus would be a craftsman? He was a carpenter. I told the Sunday school class this morning that word actually translated to craftsman. Just look at creation. Look what God has done. And if God can form a universe of such wonder... Can he not just take you and transform you into what he sees best? But that's the problem. We want to be what we see best, not what he sees best. We want to be in control. People say, I have a lot of self-control. No, I don't. Look at me. But self-control doesn't mean that you, you rip the hands off of, off of the pot and say, no, I'm going to form myself, Lord. If you do that, if you take the master's hands off of you, You'll just turn into a useless lump of clay. And pieces of you will be flying off of that potter's wheel. But when you surrender to his touch, when you surrender to the hand of God, and he puts his hand on you and begins to form that pot, 
listen, there's going to be some situations in your life where you're going to think, how's God going to use this? Let me tell you something. He will and He can and He does. In my life, in your life, He has over and over redeemed you. He has restored you. He has reformed you. He has transformed you. Because that's who God is. He's a craftsman. And when He looks into your life and He sees you refusing to surrender to Him, He, he says, if you just let me shape Him. You have to submit to the touch of the Master's. I love babies. Got one on the way. Woohoo! Grandkid number two. All the gasps and joy when a baby yawns or stretches. You, know, you got them in your hand, they stretch. Oh, look, he stretches. So do I. Nobody says that about me. They may say, Do you have to do that now? I mean, oh, look at him yawning. He's so cute. Even, even their poop. Oh, look, he pooped. That changes a few years down the line, doesn't it? It's your turn. Rock, paper, scissors. I think Derek loses a lot. I just have that feeling. But when they are new, when they're born, it was new. The air is new in their lungs. The light is new to their eyes. The wind is new to their skin. And it's, it's just all new. And when we're reborn, we are a new creation. Our eyes should be transformed. Our hearts should be transformed. And we walk in the newness. See, that's not just a mantra, a chant that we do in a baptism. Risen with Him to walk in the newness of life. That's a truth. And I think we, some of us get saved and we go, oh, praise the Lord, I'm saved. Okay, the first thing I'm going to write on it is, and off we go to our own way. Isaiah said it. Each one of us turns to our own way. We walk in newness. Why would we want to go back? After we have been resurrected in power with Christ, why would we want to go back to the mire and lay down in it? Stinking beneath its putrid stink of our old ways. But we do it. It's like we get saved and we go, oh man, praise the Lord, I'm going to go back over here and lay down in the pigsty and wallow around in it. In some ways, I understand why God calls himself a father. In parenting, do you not clean your kid and then all of a sudden, where did you find the marker? Look, Daddy, I drew another eye on my forehead. Watching a TV show the other day, and this little kid had drawn on his brother's nose right here a little mustache. And the dad says, that's bad news for Europe. Because he looked like Hitler. You just clean the mess up, and then they get dirty again. But did you know that God's grace extends so far that He's that Father that says, listen, I can clean you up. But you've got to let me. Little kids will run. Uh, Josiah went streaking the other day. You probably saw it on Facebook. Was, there he is, and his rear end shining in the public. That, you know, you get arrested when you're older. And I wrote under there, Freedom! They just run away. Even when they've got all that stuff stuck to their body and they're stinky, 
they'll get up and they'll bolt. And I think there's a lot to be said about us as well. Because when we're stinky and nasty, we run from God. Because man, sin feels good. But did you know God is saying, listen, come back over here. Let me clean you off. How do you get this? How did you get that there? And he just cleans us. We are a new creation. Walk in it. The master's there to help you to form into his image and not the seductive figure the world is selling you. Because believe me, that thing the world offers, it costs. It's expensive. And unsaved and unbelieving and unredeemed, it's your death shroud. That person that you used to be, that you continually find yourself trying to go back to, that's a death shroud. That person before Christ was dead in his trespasses. That person is dead. Why would you want to crawl back into that shell and try to give it life again? The resurrection takes that away, and then now you just have to deal with the scraps of him left over. But Christ desires you be recreated. He desires to smooth the edges and take the broken strings of your heart, the tuning pegs of your life, the bridge of your spirit, the soundboard of your voice, and make you into a masterpiece. Did you catch that? A masterpiece. That is conformed to the likeness of Jesus. The Word of God says in Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. When the master finishes with you, you're a masterpiece. Formed and conformed to him. And in Jeremiah's passage, God says to Israel, and finally to us here in today, says in verse 6, Can I not do that to you? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand. Your clay in the hand of the master. So is Martha. So is Mike. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, your clay. And God can take that clay and reform it and design it to what he wants it to be. Informed by the Holy Spirit. And after all of this, the Word of God says, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 18, it says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then the most powerful verse, the most beautiful verse, that breaks my heart. And it should yours. Verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might be called the righteousness of God. You know what that means? That means that God took Jesus that was sinless and said, okay, I'm going to take all the sin of the world and I'm going to smear it all over the Son of God. And I'm going to dirty him up. And then I'm going to stick him to a cross. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. God calls us righteous when we're his. And how 
I look at my life, I'm, I'm not righteous. I'm way overqualified for sin. But righteousness? If I were interviewing for a job of righteousness, I'd be in last place. But God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, remember it says in Christ, we are a new creation. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Number one, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself. Two, our sins are not counted against us. They were nailed to the cross. And three, we're ambassadors for Christ. Appealing to others. And he graciously gives us the words to say, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. When we make an appeal, we're imploring we're begging, we're passionately desiring that our loved ones, family and friends and neighbors find Christ and they be reconciled to God, that they may know the love of Christ and that that love of Christ compels them. It was the love of Christ that compelled us to reach out. Well, let's take this in for a moment. God took the ashes of our life, mixed it in with the clay of who we are and reformed what was destroyed by sin and recreated us making us a treasure to Him and blessing others. And then He gave us a ministry, one that you and I are in right now. We're in a ministry. got a text yesterday. Carrie was uh, saying that she needs three new volunteers for Children's Church. Three have backed out. She needs three adults to help with the children. We've been given a ministry. Are you in the game? Are you getting grass stains? Are you getting bloodied by the battle? Oh, it's so hard. No one said ministry is easy. No one said it. There's a guy who said, if you have lace on your Levi, stay out of ministry. I was like, what a strange thing. <laughs> but what he meant was, it's not for the faint of heart. And it's not for that person that, oh, how to do ministry again? I just did ministry last week. It's an everyday thing. God has given you the ministry of reconciliation. One that you and I are in. He reformed us. He redeemed us. He gave us a ministry. He made us his personal ambassadors in spite of what we did before our salvation and gave us to the world that desperately needs the message we carry. Does it not humble you that you were chosen to carry the gospel? That he took what was and said, I'm going to make you an ambassador. And I'm going to implore people through you to come to Christ? Does the love demonstrated by Christ not compel you to bring your friends to hear Christ? To speak the gospel to them and to bring your unchurched children and grandchildren, nieces and nephews to church to hear the, of Christ's love? <clears throat> At the end of the year, every year, I ask myself, with the job I did this year, if I were the boss, would I want that person back? I interview myself in May. Would I want them back? Now, I didn't say, do I want to come back? Because in May, I'm usually like, I ain't going back there. Those people are crazy. But I, I, I do. I sit down. Would I want that person to come back? Did I finish the task? Kingdom growth is our task. And if you read the statistics, someone's dropping the ball on God's team. Our complacency and apathy will lead to the greatest falling away in the history of mankind where we can potentially lose an entire 
generation. An entire generation. 85% of the world of the United States claims Christianity. 15% go to church. Those numbers don't match at all. Now that we have been recreated, we get into the business of delivering new lumps of clay to the master's touch. And we get into the business of changing lives and laying our, our preferences aside. We lay our limitations aside and do what we can to reach the world for Christ. God can take those broken strings, the fractured neck of the violin, the cracked wood, and make it sing again. Listen, like those old violins, your life can be reformed. Like those violins, the cracks that are in your life can be completely taken care of and your life can be renewed. It isn't over. Those scars can become testimonies. The broken strings can be mended and the wood can be refinished. You just have to submit to the hand of the master. And when the master's done, you'll sing again. You'll praise the Lord again. Listen, the darkness is passing and the light is dark. You could stand again and listen as the beauty rises from the ashes that you've allowed your life to be. You think God has abandoned you? Listen, he has been sitting at the potter's wheel, ready to reform. God has been waiting to touch you and transform your life. And then your voice can rise in praise again. God doesn't want you to be defeated by life. Your heart can be mended. Your life can be changed. All you have to do is let the Master work. And you sing. That's who God is. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I hope you were blessed with this message. Check Emmanuel Baptist Church Muskogee out on Facebook and join us for live-streamed services every Sunday at 1045 a.m. Central Time.